I went into um, Home Bargains during the week and I uh, picked one of these up. I even used my own money, didn't claim it on expenses. I thought 199 could be, uh, could be an offering. It's an advent calendar. It's a nice chocolate one. And I, I kind of brought it, I thought I'd use it as a visual illustration because I think I've shared this before. Whenever we were kids, we had an advent calendar, but it was the same one. We didn't get a new one each year. It was the same one. Yes, the older people are kind of doing this, yes. And, do you know, it kind of got put away with the Christmas decorations every year, and it kind of came out every year, and it got blue tacked on the same part of the wall beside the kitchen every year. And every year, my sister sneaked it. Every year, she got so that she, she, she wangled it in such a way as she would open the double door. I got the single door. She goes, every year, she goes, Paul, if you want to, you can go first. You take day number one. Because she knew when it got to day 24, it was a double door. And it was the manger, and it was baby Jesus in it. Every, I fell for it every single year. The advent calendar. Who would like the advent calendar? Lucas, it's all yours, son. <laughs> Two pound. <laughs> it's a gift to you. We, we've never done what we're about to attempt over the next number of weeks, and that is actually do a little bit of a series on Advent. And Advent really is those four weeks leading up to Christmas. And uh, it's usually done in December, but as you can tell from our notices earlier, there's no room in December because we've got so many other kind of things planned. And so what we thought we'd do is we're going to take three weeks here in November and uh, end with a much shorter message from what we're going to do today and the next couple of Sundays on our Christmas carol service. Advent is that season, that period of anticipation um, prior to Christmas. The word Advent actually means arrival. And uh, it can be used and it can be likened to, uh, in our own English language, in other ways, the, the advent of the internet, that, that beginning period as the internet kind of came, or uh, the advent of the pandemic. Not that that's uh, something that we wish to remember and celebrate, is it? Uh, but the, uh, that's what it means to simply arrive. And as we focus our attention and our time in these Sundays, as we prepare ourselves in the madness of Christmas, I mean, just even that set of notices was pretty kind of, oh my God, it's so busy that we would take time, that we would prepare ourselves and remember what it is as we approach. Advent is um, celebrated for those of Protestant, uh, Catholic, Orthodox, and other Christian traditions. And it is a time where we observe and we engage in prayer and meditation and scripture study that emphasizes four things, and that's what we're wanting to do. Four aspects. First of all, hope, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. Then uh, next week, Kate is going to pick up um, the second element, which is peace. And then third week will be love and then joy. So hope, peace, love, and joy. And that's where we want to uh, be diving into. So hope. What do we think of? I wonder when we even use the English word for hope, what is it that kind of comes to mind? 
Uh, perhaps it could be that you hope that the weather is good at the weekend so you can cut the grass. Perhaps uh, you hope that someday you might meet someone and fall in love with. It could be that you hope that the medical test result is a good one. Perhaps you hope the circumstances for a friend of yours might change someday. Or perhaps we think that the word hope is just simple, wishful kind of thinking. Or perhaps it's a great word that can be used to name a child. <laughs> just want to show uh, a video. It really, really helps actually unpack the biblical word for hope. Like lots of words that we have in our English language, like the word for love, has four separate different expressions of love found in the scriptures. The word hope, the English word that we have, has three different biblical words. And hopefully this video will do a much better job explaining what they are. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the flood waters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. 
They believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they use the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is, but biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. Fantastic. So that video and others like it can be found on The Bible Project, an incredible resource to all of us uh, that you can find on the internet. We find then that there are these two Old Testament words written in Hebrew, yakol and uh, kavar, which simply means to wait, to wait. The word hope means to wait in eager expectation, under tension. And then um, in the New Testament, the word hope is found in the, in the language of Greek uh, as el peace, which is similar in, in that hope is built upon waiting, but it's waiting for a person. What we want to do is take a little bit of a whistle-stop tour through the scriptures. We're going to begin in Genesis. We're going to look at the story of Noah. Uh, then we're going to uh, kind of camp out a little bit in the Psalms, and then we're going to conclude our time in the New Testament with Luke at the birth of Jesus. And so uh, my encouragement to you is simply somehow pay attention. Tune in. There's going to be lots of words here. If you're an auditory learner, this is going to be great for you. If you're not, well, you could be struggling. So kind of dig each other in the elbows and, and stick with it. We're Genesis 8 uh, verse 6. After 40 days, Noah opened the window. He had made in the ark and sent out a raven, and it kept flying to and fro until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water over all of the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent out the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. Contained in this passage, we read the word yakol uh, many, many times. This waiting, this eager expectation. Noah, his family, the two by two animals from all of the earth are camped out uh, at the, uh, on this boat. And they've been at sea for a period of 150 days. You can imagine they are busting for what? What are they waiting for? They are simply waiting for the water to go 
so that they can get off the ship and that they can go to dry land. They are waiting, waiting, eagerly expecting. They're waiting for God to remember them, remember how they got themselves there in the first place. They got themselves there in the first place because we read earlier, the Lord saw how great the wicked the human race had become on the earth. Even though we were made in his image, because we had strayed from his intentions and his good way of us relating and connecting and remaining in his love, we chose our own way and we disobeyed uh, what we remember in what was known as the fall. Uh, to step out of his love and mercy is what we did and this separation from God came to a crescendo in those uh, early uh, period of creation that the Lord saw how great the wickedness had become and so wanted to, uh, to continue in terms of the human race but through the righteous man of Noah and his family. Will God remember them? Will God come through for them and so they yakol they wait they wait for his rescue they wait uh, for the devastation to pass and for life to return and for life to come will god redeem them to the psalmist we read in psalm 130 out of the depths i cry to you lord Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, keep a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait, I yakol, for the Lord. I hope for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I pray. Put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. We have a whole lot of yakalling and kavaring going on in there. Do you see it? Do you hear it? Do you hear it in the language? What is the psalmist waiting for? What is he hoping for? What is the central message that he is writing about? It's similar to that of Noah. It is for mercy. It is for forgiveness. It is for rescuing and it is for redemption. The psalm begins, I cry to you, I cry for mercy. I can't stand it if you keep a record of my sin. But with you, there is forgiveness so that I can serve you, so that I can be in right relationship with you. And so I yakol, I wait, I hope in you. Uh, contained in the middle of that psalm, we read twice. We kind of think as he got a bit of a, you know, why, why is he repeating that? Whenever anything is repeated in the Bible, it's often because the writer is trying to make a point. The point is, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. In a biblical times when this was written, a watchman would have been the people kind of in a military kind of protective um, position, 
usually on a high point if there was a kind of a central kind of um, a surrounding wall that kept guard and watch uh, during the night. And their job really was to protect the people, protect the town, protect the area. And so they would have been posted on these high walls waiting, waiting for the morning. Those of you who uh, do night shift in whatever um, profession that you might have, you can uh, better tell those of us that don't how much you long for the morning, how much you wait for the morning so that, uh, so that the, 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 the evening, the night has passed, how you hope, how you wait eagerly for the morning to come. The watchmen also had an important role in that they would announce the beginning of a new day the beginning of the new day, that through the night there was not a murder. During the night there was not trouble. People did not invade or come through the gates. It was a safe night. Day has come. A new day has dawned. There was no enemy attack. The psalmist waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. Waiting for what? Waiting for forgiveness, for redemption, for right relationship, for rescue, for restoration, like that of the flood. And let us come to the third part, to the New Testament, to Luke. Luke 2.22. Stick with it. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, to offer a sacrifice in keeping with that what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Joseph and Mary, they take baby Jesus up to the temple eight days, eight days after he was born to fulfill what was written in the law, the consecration um, of purification, this 40-day this period post-birth, given and outlined in Leviticus, that was given to a mother as part of this 40 days, this, this period of time that on the eighth day that the child, if it was a boy, was taken to the temple or taken to the priest uh, to basically, it's all very polite in the words there, is basically to have this foreskin removed. That's basically what it was. Uh, sorry if I've embarrassed some of you there. I looked, saw and some of you kind of did this. Um, but that's what it was. I'm just elaborating on the text. 
just expanding from the scriptures there, for those of you who like it. Um, this is the really cool bit, Simeon, this old, devout, righteous man, who what I find really interesting is the Holy Spirit is on him and in him. Why is that interesting? Because the Holy Spirit only came on certain people until Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus. But the Holy Spirit had come to him prior to that incredible moment. Simeon, the righteous and devout, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that simply mean? It simply means the Messiah, the one that they'd been longing for, they'd been waiting for, they'd been prayerful for, they paid attention to the prophecies in Isaiah and other prophets, the promised one, the chosen one, the one who would come to rescue and redeem and set free and establish righteousness to the people of Israel. Simeon, this righteous and devout man, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon gets the whole baby Jesus, and in that moment he realizes and knows this is the one. I can go in peace now. We assume he's an, uh, uh, an older gentleman. They've been waiting. They've been waiting. They've been hoping for the one to come. And in this moment, Simeon, his yakuling ceases in a person, in Jesus. Next chapter in Luke, 30 years later, the people were waiting expectantly and were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. What were their people doing? The ones coming to the waters to see and to hear John's message, what were they doing? They were waiting and they were hoping. A few verses later, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. He was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. A voice from heaven came, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. The one that they had longed for, the one that they had waited for, and yet called for all of those years, in this moment, in this person, the eagerly waited and anticipated comes. As we prepare for Christmas this year, as we uh, come to him with our hopes, we remember that he is hope, that our hope is satisfied and met not in wishful thinking or in optimistic dreaming, but our hope is actually found in him. As the songs that we sing say this, my hope is in you alone. My hope is built on nothing else than Jesus' blood and righteousness.
end with a quote from the video. Biblical hope isn't optimism. Based on the odds, it's a choice to wait for God, to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. We wait.